This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to Knowledge at Wharton. I'm Angie Bessiani. Today we're taking on the topic of discrimination in the workplace. Anyone who's experienced it knows it's a particularly destructive force. Discrimination can rob you of your self-worth and ultimately affect your job performance as you feel increasingly marginalized. Wharton management professor Samir Nurmuhammad has a new study that looks at a really important tool employees can use to push back against the negative psychological consequences of discrimination. And it's all about the self-narrative. In other words, it's the stories we tell ourselves. He and his co-authors recently published a paper titled Against the Odds, Developing Underdog versus Favorite Narratives to Offset Prior Experiences of Discrimination. And Dr. Nur Mohammed is here with me today to talk about it. Samira, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So this paper was really fascinating to me. This idea of using self-narratives to mitigate the effects of discrimination, that's a really interesting topic just to even look into. What made you want to study it? And tell us a little bit about your paper, what you found. Yeah, absolutely. So at one point in time, I got interested in the topic of underdogs and this idea that when you're perceived as unlikely to succeed, does that motivate you or not? And a lot of existing research had said no, that being an underdog was really bad for effort and performance and it would reduce confidence. And in some of my other research, I was finding that that's not always the case, that there are times where actually being seen as an underdog could be motivating. It can motivate others to prove others wrong. And under certain conditions, that can happen. And actually, when I was giving my job talk here at Warden, I was speaking with the audience with other faculty members, and they started wondering, well, is it possible that this idea of an underdog narrative, an underdog story, could be beneficial as well? Could it kind of serve as a buffer against some of the negative adversity that people experience, whether it's at the workplace or in their careers? So that's actually what got me started thinking about this topic. In your paper, in the title, you have the phrases underdog versus favorite. Can you untangle those for us? What is an underdog narrative and what's a favorite narrative? Yeah, so the words underdog and favorite get thrown around a lot. It gets thrown around in sports and politics, among business entrepreneurs. So you can think about the relationship between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates over the years. One was an underdog. One was kind of a favorite in terms of their performance and their company's performance. Then it, it flipped at different points in time. Mm-hmm. The way that we look at it, this with my co-authors, Tim Cundro and Chris Myers, we started thinking about, okay, well, what makes an underdog narrative special? And it was this idea that it's about a time, it's a story about a time in which others didn't believe you could succeed, but you yourself did believe you could be successful. On the other hand, a favorite narrative has some similarities, but it's actually different. It's this idea of a time in which others believed you could succeed and you yourself also thought you could be successful. So both underdog and favorite narratives in the context of this paper end with with success, but they have very different starting points. One is about a time in which others didn't think you could succeed, the underdog narrative. The other is about a time in which others thought you could succeed initially. So in your paper, when you're getting into the explanation of underdog versus favorite, you put it in the context of the workplace. And I love the phrase that you use, self-fulfilling prophecy, the idea that the favorite at work fulfills this prophecy that everyone believes that they're successful and they'll they'll do a good job. And with the underdog, they sort of have to create their own narrative about themselves, that they can succeed despite the odds, correct? Yeah, that's exactly correct. This idea of the self-fulfilling prophecy is has been supported by decades of research. It's actually some of my most favorite research in the management literature, and it's been shown across settings of organizations, educational settings, also even in the military. 
But one of the things about the self-fulfilling prophecy is that, yeah, when others expect you to succeed, you also believe you can be successful. What I was kind of interested in with my co-authors, though, is this idea that that's not always the case. People don't always perceive success from others at the workplace or in their careers. And one of the open questions that hadn't been really answered by prior research and hadn't even really been thought of is what happens in those situations? Is it better to suppress other slow expectations and actually just kind of make yourself believe that others believe that you can be successful? Or should you almost acknowledge it, acknowledge the fact that others don't believe that you can be successful and kind of be focused on defying the odds in some way to be successful in those situations? So what did you find? What was the key takeaway in your study? Yeah, the key takeaway was that these underdog narratives actually offset the repercussions of prior discrimination compared to favorite narratives. Those that told an underdog narrative to themselves actually felt more confident in their ability to land a job and ultimately did. That's really interesting. How did you go about studying this? Tell us a little bit about your methodology. Yeah, so for our main field experiment, we actually recruited 330 unemployed job seekers at two Pennsylvania reemployment centers. We invited them to attend workshops, but in these studies, they actually either told an underdog narrative or a favorite narrative or just a narrative from a story in their life. And through the process of the workshop, we had them kind of learn the aspects of a story you know, the beginning, middle, parts, and end, come up with a theme of the story that they told, and also have them apply to their job search. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, we have them fill up measures of their confidence in landing a job, and we actually track their performance 30 days later on ultimately whether they found a job or not. So you actually created this experience for them to that allowed them to like just put this research into action. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It was actually hour-long workshops, and we had so many different people involved to run these run these workshops with job seekers. I got to ask you, though, you're not saying that the results of this research, that being an underdog or giving yourself a positive uh, message is the panacea for discrimination. That doesn't really solve the things that are going on in the workplace, right? Of course. Yeah, of course. You're absolutely right. This is, you know, with discrimination, there's obviously huge structural barriers, inequity, for instance, in systems. And at an organizational level or even a societal level, we've got to figure out ways to address discrimination. All we're saying is that in this study that an underdog narrative can be more beneficial for offsetting the negative effects of it, but it's not going to make it go away, obviously. Right, right. Now, you know, usually we ask our scholars to give us the practical implications of their research, but your paper actually has some very specific advice for people on how they can use this research to fortify themselves when they're dealing with the discrimination. So can you walk us through that advice? What what can we do to help preserve our sense of self-worth and our job performance. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I love about our, about the study in particular is that it happened in the real world. These were at reemployment centers. Mm-hmm. So thinking about the practical takeaways of our work, I think there's, it's kind of on two sides. One is for job placement advisors who work with people who have experienced discrimination and are, and are looking for jobs or it could be discrimination or it could be other forms of adversity too. Um, one idea is that the workforce advisors could actually encourage individuals to reflect on times when others expected them to fail, but they themselves succeeded. So rather than having people suppress those experiences, have them look at it through a new lens, essentially. Okay, are there situations where this has kind of happened before, but you've actually ended up being successful? Those can be really powerful moments of learning and performance for individuals. The other side of this is looking at it from the job seeker's perspective. 
one thing that they're already doing is thinking about the stories that they tell themselves. Everyone tells stories. And what we're hoping that this research does is making them aware of the power of storytelling as a vehicle for self-reflection during the job search. You can think of them using blogs or journals to harness their prior experiences and the resilience that can come from surviving adversity in the past. That's really great advice. You know, it makes me think about that saying, uh, be the author of your own story. Don't let someone else write it for you. And that's essentially what you're saying. You're saying, take a little take a little control back from the things that have happened to you to sort of bolster your self-esteem and your self-confidence. And I think that's particularly important for job seekers because we all know how difficult that process can be sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you put it best right there, Angie. Well, I know for you, for many years now, you have focused your research on how people respond to adversity in the workplace. And I'm just curious, can you tell us what draws you to that personally and what's next on your list of things to study? Yeah, so I think one of the reasons is, is uh, you, kind of like you just said, I think it's really important that people feel in control even when they're not. That again, that doesn't mean that society and organizations don't have a role to play in supporting people one of the themes of my research is, well, everyone experiences adversity in some way. Everyone has faced different forms. So what's the way in which we can help people get better at responding to it and even harnessing it or learning from it? Um, so one of the things that I'm doing in my follow-up research with a, with a co-author, Zoe Trigglesauer, is that we're looking at how might adversity come up in organizations? And one of the new ideas that we're looking at is what happens when someone's hired for the job, but they weren't actually the first choice for the job. Are there effects for that those newcomers that come into the workforce? And we're studying that more and more and seeing the effects of that on their socialization and feedback seeking in organizations, as well as their performance. Well, I really hope you come back and talk to us about that when that paper is ready. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Dr. Samir Nurmuhammad with his paper today, giving us some great advice on a very relevant topic. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more just like it on our website where you can find all our articles on the latest research in business. For Knowledge at Wharton, I'm Angie Bessiuni. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.